When it comes to maximizing time in the uplands, without fail, Onyx Hunt is my most valuable tool. From planning my next hunt through a new bird cover to navigating in the field, Onyx Hunt is truly with me wherever I go. With detailed mapping and satellite imagery, along with a multitude of map layers from land access to forestry and habitat information and easy-to-use tools to mark, measure, and catalog important information, Onyx Hunt seamlessly integrates digital scouting with boots-on-the-ground time in the field. With offline mapping and Apple CarPlay integration, you are free to explore the wild landscapes our beloved upland birds inhabit. Planning your next move in the uplands begins with knowing where you stand, and for me, that starts and stops with Onyx Hunt. Download the Onyx Hunt app today and use the promo code BSP20 to save 20% on your Onyx Hunt subscription. When the miles rack up faster than your flush count, that's when you'll truly appreciate your hunting vest from Final Rise. Built for the uplands and proudly sewn in the USA, the complete lineup of hunting vests from Final Rise, from their all-new Summit XT down to the minimalist Sidekick system, are all built upon the foundational load-bearing waist belt and low-profile shoulder strap system, which allow you to carry all the gear you need and do so comfortably while maintaining your ability to move freely and perform when you need to most. With a complete lineup of accessories and newly released performance field apparel, Final Rise has the gear you need to help you get the most out of every mile and every flush. Final Rise gear is built for the uplands. Get yours today at FinalRise.com. Welcome to the Project Upland Podcast, where we discuss all things upland hunting. We plan to take you into some of our favorite bird covers as we talk to the people that hunt them and the organizations that support them. We'll also break down the dogs, guns, and gear used to pursue them, and of course, we'll share the stories that celebrate this American tradition. It's one of those things that you do that, that feels timeless. My dad brought home our first Brittany when I was about 10 years old. The Red Gods are calling, and I must go. These are your stories. tuned into the Project Upland podcast. And I'm your host, Nick Larson. Welcome to the show for episode number 60. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Pine Ridge Grouse Camp, the finest rough grouse and woodcock hunting experience located in northern Minnesota. From woodcock banding clinics, upland bird training camp, bird dog training, to the fall hunting season, they've got you covered at Pine Ridge Grouse Camp. Find out more about them at pineridgegrousecamp.com. And by Dogtra Collars. Dogtra bringing you a full line of dog training and handling products and accessories just launched the Pathfinder Mini for your GPS collar, the Pathfinder. They now have the new mini collar for your smaller dogs. Check that out and more at Dogtra.com and be on the lookout for our episode with Dogtra coming up very soon. And by Yukonuba Premium Performance Dog Food, scientifically researched and formulated, made with the highest levels of protein and fat to promote lean muscle sustained energy for peak performance in your bird dog find out more about premium performance dog food from yukonuba at yukonuba.com and by gordy and sons outfitters based in texas gordy and sons is the leading hunting and fly fishing outfitter in the u.s known for stocking best-in-class gear that's sourced from around the globe their knowledgeable staff have the expertise to ensure you have the best possible time outdoors. Find out more about Gordy and Sons Outfitters at GordyandSons.com. And finally, by Dakota 283 Kennels, unparalleled pet protection. 
from kennels that are built to last a lifetime. Check out the full line of Dakota 283 products at dakota283.com. And if you buy a kennel, be sure to use the promo code PU50DD. That's PU50DD. It'll get you 50% off one of the Dine and Dash products with purchase of a kennel. And remember, always free shipping on all orders from Dakota283.com. This week's winner of the podcast giveaway, Marty Card. Marty, thank you for sharing a recent episode of the Project Upland podcast. We appreciate it. And you'll have some Project Upland swag headed your way very soon. Anybody out there listening could be next week's winner of the podcast giveaway. All you got to do is make a meaningful contribution to the show. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. Subscribe to the podcast. Share the podcast post or send us some feedback. Always love to hear from my listeners. Send me an email anytime at nick.larson at northwoodscollective.com. All right, don't forget, Project Upland Magazine is for sale. Summer issue coming your way pretty soon. Be on the lookout for that. Be on the lookout for some new Project Upland gear. That could mean new T-shirts for you to pick from if you are the weekly podcast giveaway winner. We've been reviewing some designs and putting some stuff together. Should be on the website pretty soon. Pretty cool stuff. You're going to want to check that out. Keep an eye on the projectupland.com website very soon. All right, that's it from me. Let's get into today's episode. This was a fun one. Our guest today is from the Mediator Crew, Morgan Mason. You may have heard him on an episode of the Hunting Dog Podcast. He shared a bit of his story there. We dove a little bit deeper today, talked about his background. We talked about Mediator. We talked about Morgan's experience getting into bird dogs, upland hunting the West, as well as his upland hunting story from back home in Kansas. Had a great conversation with Morgan about upland birds, bird dogs, shotguns, the usuals. I hope you enjoyed today's episode of the show. Without further ado, let's welcome to the Project Upland podcast from Meat Eater, Morgan Mason. All right, Morgan, here we go. Welcome to the Project Upland podcast. Thanks for joining us today. How are you, man? Good, Nick. How are you doing? I'm doing really well. Appreciate it. Awesome. Well, thanks for, yeah, thanks for having me on. Oh, absolutely. It's our pleasure to have you on the podcast today. I'm looking forward to this conversation. It's going to be fun. And with that, let's lead off. Let's, uh, where are we talking to you today from, Morgan? Are you at uh, Mediator headquarters? Yep. I'm here in the podcast office here in Bozeman, Montana. Excellent, excellent. So the Hanging podcast, the mediator, mediator podcast room. Yep. Wow. I almost, yeah, we've been putting a lot of work into it and getting it up and running, and uh, it's starting to look pretty good. That's cool. I, w- I kind of wish I was there, but it's almost kind of like, uh, you know, we're, we're podcasting on hallowed ground. I mean, there's some, some big-time podcasts that have been hosted in that room. <laughs> That's for sure. Absolutely. <laughs> I, I'm just I'm just here in my lowly old basement, but uh, nonetheless, we are we are very excited to have you on the on the show. Um, why don't you uh, start us off a little bit, Morgan? Tell us kind of a little bit about who you are uh, with a focus on meat eater, uh, what you do there, how long you've been there, kind of the basics. Yeah. So I started here at Meat Eater last October, um, and I'm one of the associate editors here, and so I work on the editorial side, uh, which if you see the website, themediator.com, that's that's where I work at. So we've got two different sides here to kind of start off. We've got the editorial side, and then we've got the production side. And the production is obviously all the videos that's pumping out, getting onto Netflix and the Meat Eater show and all of that, as well as all the little video clips that you see on social. So I'm working here in the editorial aspect and just kind of helping out in, in a bit of a supporting role, as well as kind of digging up into my own content. And, you know, just uh, just looking for challenging topics to tackle in the realm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Mediator, if if people are not familiar with it, I would imagine the majority of listeners are. But if not, Mediator is absolutely uh, a leader in, in the space and you guys are doing some really, really cool stuff. Uh, was there any uh, – what did you have for lunch today? Any Any crazy wild game? wild game uh, feast there. Every time I see your Instagram story, you guys are cooking something out there. Yeah. You know, we do a lot of office lunches where we just like, we, the whole staff just takes turns like bringing in different meats and preparing in different ways. But, uh, I just had to run next door to the coffee shop and grab something quick. So <laughs> I don't have anything exciting for you today. Any turkeys walking by the office today? 
No, we uh, we had turkeys last week um, in the parking lot. So our our area, we share like a parking lot with Sitka, and so we had like a flock of turkeys in between us and Sitka, and those turkeys had to have no clue how much danger they potentially were in. And the county, or the like, the city li- city limit sign, or, like the edge of the city limits, is like right behind it, and so they're almost fair game. <laughs> so they're just coming by and teasing us. Yep, yep. They know. I guess maybe they know it's uh, not season yet. When do you guys open up? I would imagine. I think uh, we were talking last week. You're getting ready to do a little turkey hunting yourself. Yeah. So it's this Saturday we open up. So I'm heading up to Kalispell with a buddy Joe, and we're going to get after some turkeys. He's got some property up there, some family property with a couple flocks on it. And so we're going to see if we can do some damage up there. Awesome. Jumping into that pretty quickly. Now, I've never been to. You're right in Bozeman, right? Yep, right okay. off the highway. Yeah, so I've never been there. What I know, I, like I, when I hear about it, I hear it's it's rapidly growing, and and you know you talk about brands like Meat Eater and Sitka, and and I know Onyx has an has an office there. So I there's definitely you know it's kind of a hotbed of the outdoor industry. But what kind of a city is it? You know, are you is it kind of where you can be 10, 15 minutes outside or or less, and you're in the outdoors, you're on public land? Yeah, I'd say maybe a little bit more. I'd say like thirty minutes, and you can be actively hunting 30 okay. 40 minutes you could be actively hunting yeah there's uh there used to be some really good hunt uh locations like right on the edge of town but unfortunately with all this growth they're building right on top of it and so there's like some of our staff lives in this area and they're shooting videos with their cell phones of like little huns running around the neighborhood um and i know <laughs> a good buddy of mine ben he's got a spot where we shoot bows out of his backyard it like edges up right to the edge of the development and we're walking through like waist high grass up to like take our targets out of the deer or take our arrows out of the deer targets. And we're like kicking up puns on the way. So, wow. yeah. So there's all kinds. There's, there's a bunch of stuff to do here between the fishing and the hunting. It, it doesn't take very long for you to get to that. Yeah. How has the spring season been? Are you, are you fully melted by this time? Uh, the lowlands for the most part, but the mountains definitely still have snow sure. on them. We just went up. Uh, a couple weekends ago and went to do some scouting for bear and we were in snowshoes and post holing and it was just still a mess we're still a little early but we just wanted to get the heck out of town and go do some camping and see things yeah sounds like a good use of the weekend yep so before meat eater you haven't always been there you know started last october um tell us a little bit about the story of morgan mason that kind of led you to this position with meat eater and being kind of deep in the outdoor industry yeah so it started basically so i grew up in a small town outside of a small town in kansas um it's kind of where i got my upland hunting chops um and from there after i graduated high school i actually in my junior year right after in the summer i signed up for the national or for the uh, army reserves um and then really had no clue what to do with life. I was just kind of a small town kid kicking around, um, went in the reserves, did that, got deployed, came back with this like just renewed sense of wanting to like live, um, which I think you could understand after coming back from war. Yeah. And I just wanted to go explore. And so I moved to Colorado almost immediately after like six months of being back. Um, and after time, I just got into the outdoor industry via whitewater. I became a raft guide after I first came out there, um, after I first moved there. And from that, I just kept progressing in the industry and ended up working for a retailer out there in Buena Vista called CKS, Colorado Kayak Supply. And unbeknownst to me, they were one of the nation's largest whitewater retailers. Um, And so I got my first real crack into the industry with them and then by the end of the summer i was approached by a company that was pushing paddle boarding in the rockies and i just took my heads on like hands-on approach and headstrong approach and just like jumped in full force and did all kinds of stuff out there like traveled to every mountain town you'd ever want to go to taught people what paddle boarding was how to do it surfed river waves just had a blast um and went all over the place with that learned to write learned uh photography and just kept progressing in the industry and kept investing into myself. Um, and then kind of was getting out of that transition and getting a little tired of what I was up to between sales rep, marketing, events, just anything and everything. And started on track to become a firefighter 
And I was still writing it through the time I had got on with a company called Active Junkie out of Denver and was doing some paddleboarding and whitewater uh, content for them on my spare time while I was going through fire training and all of this. And then after I got on with the fire department in Colorado, uh, Fairmont Fire Protection District, I was working there with those guys and gals. Um, I got injured and just like had this kind of moment where I was just like, is this really what I want to do with my life? Like I always have a wanderlust and I just wasn't sure if I could lock myself into a position where I'd be in the same spot for like 20, 30 years. Um, and so I just made the decision that I wanted to go full bore writing and I just quit everything else, quit my side construction jobs, everything, and just went full bore into writing photography. Um, fly fish guide that summer, moved back to Kansas, worked on a, a whitetail project with Mystery Ranch. Um, and then I was just like, I need to be in Bozeman. If I'm going to jump into the outdoor industry, if I'm going to become a writer or in the hunting and fishing industry, if I'm going to become a writer photographer, like that's the epicenter, that's where I need to be. So I'm like having beers with like marketing directors and just the right people that I need to make contact with. I need to move to Bozeman. And so I did, I just uprooted from Kansas, threw everything in my old beat up Tacoma, got a U-Haul and just made the move up here. And it, it's been great so far. At that point in time, I was working with Gear Junkie as their hunt and fish editor and doing that on a lot of various projects here in town with brands, uh, writing copy, doing some photography. Um, and then I was approached when me, uh, when uh, Meat Eater came into town and they were looking to fill some staff. And I'm a huge fan, always have been, been like very much respect what Steve has done and like what he's built with Giannis and everybody and just the way that they engage in the space, uh, the brutal honesty within it and the philosophies and the morals and ethics. And I just didn't think twice about it. I jumped on board with him and now I am here at Bozeman in the podcast room chatting with you. <laughs> Great story, man. Great story. And uh, <laughs> before we go any further, thank you for your service to our country, man. I appreciate it. And I know the listeners do. Uh, that is, uh, that's one, that's one heck of a story for sure. And, uh, like you said, here you are in the mediator podcast room. That's pretty wild. I got to ask the paddleboarding thing. I mean, I, I have one at my cabin and I'm pretty decent at going around a flat water, 80 acre lake. I've, I, <laughs> I typically don't fall off, but how the hell do you do it going down rivers? <laughs> Uh, you have to have a great sense of humility because you're going <laughs> to fall a lot. And that and a good set of like shin pads because I've definitely got some scar tissue built up in my shins. Oh, man. Uh, but it's that and it's a lot of bracing. It's just like for me, it's I've got a good history of being like reactive, like working on the farm and like being in the military, uh, whitewater raft guiding, like took all of those skill sets and put it into that. And it's just like a very in the moment, a very reactive thing where you don't think you just do. And that's, it just suited me well. And it's just, it's a really good way for me just to get out. Um, it's one of the things I like to do, just to get out to like clear my head. It's like fly fishing. You have to be like very in tune with everything that's going on. It's very finicky. And that's like the same thing as that. It's just like, you've also got adrenaline surging with like whitewater waves and holes and rocks that you're dodging. It's, it's a hell of a time. Yeah. I think a lot of us crave that type of activity, especially in today's day and age with, you know, all the distractions and we could go on and on, but yeah, anything that, anything that helps you be present. And a lot of times that is sort of those real physical mental activities. So I could definitely see where that would be uh, super appealing. Yep. Do you ever get the dog on the paddleboard with you? The dog that I've currently got, um, I haven't, but the dog that I had back then, I had a black lab when I was doing all that. And okay. He was, he went everywhere with me and including down some rivers <laughs> Nice on the board. So not the, not the hard ones, but he definitely went on the booze cruises for sure. <laughs> uh, one other thing, do you still have the Tacoma? I do. It's sitting on the side of the house and it's for sale. If anybody wants it, <laughs> I've got a tundra at this point. <laughs> oh, but, nice. Uh, yeah, nice. I, I, I do still have the Tacoma. I'm like, I'm so torn about it. Cause I have, I don't know. I've been so many places with that thing and it's like five or six different colors, including rust. Um, <laughs> and it's just like, that thing has been to hell and back and it's, it's just ticking right along. So it's, it's kind of hard to get rid of it. Yeah. Yeah. I hear you. I've got a 2007 Sequoia, which I haven't actually had it for that long, but when I was looking for my most recent truck, I wanted a I wanted a good used Toyota that I could, that I could put a lot more miles on it. So I know the feeling. Yeah. They're great trucks. Yeah, Absolutely. You touched on it very briefly back in Kansas, your upland hunting roots. Let's hear a little bit about the early days where 
you got your start in upland hunting. Was it all in the family kind of thing? Hunt with your dad, your brother, that sort of thing? Yeah, it's it's your stereotypical small town. Dad's a hunter, sons are going to be a hunter sort of situation. Um, and it was just a, a good way to like keep us occupied out there as well. But yeah, we I grew up on a quarter section in northeastern Kansas on uh, Clay County. Um, outside of a small town called Wakefield. And we had a quarter section of the town, like tons of family history out there. Uh, my father, he is a farmer. He also owns like a small gas station mechanic shop in town. He's been doing that since forever. And so we know everybody there. It's just, it's one of those things where you look at a map, put your finger down on it, and we know the person, we know the phone number to call. And so we had access to land all over the place. Uh, my dad's been a big upland hunter, uh, pretty much... I don't think he really did in high school, but I think once he got out of high school, he got very into the outdoors, including hunting. And that was his start. And he just continued that right along and passed that down to my brother and I. And he always had a GSP um, outside on the kennel. We, he always just kept one, sometimes a lab with a company, but uh, generally labs didn't do much. It was just the GSPs really getting after it. And we would go out every weekend, um, there's, I mean, basically like right outside of our back door, we could walk less than a hundred yards and get onto a hedgerow that was right next to a Milo strip. And so we could have a covey of quail, um, that we're getting into like within a minute and a half of the, the backyard. So we were, we were very much in tune. We spent all spring listening to Bob White's, um, listen to them sing and call and like hear the pheasants cackle. Um, so we would, we were hunters our whole life, basically from the point I was five, six years old, the time I could like carry a shotgun. I was out there with the guys. I had a little 410, uh, hammer single shot. Nice. And that was my first shotgun. And yeah, I had us out there and yeah, my brother and I just kind of progressed on from there working with my dad and his friend, Phil and, and his Britneys and just kind of touring the Flint Hills of Kansas. Were the, the GSPs of your younger days, were they getting a lot of training, anything like that? Or was it, uh, let them out of the, let them out of the kennel and go hunt. You know, uh, as I had mentioned, my dad was, uh, he, he ran the, the mechanic shop and the gas station yep. and he farmed that quarter section. And so he had absolutely no time. Um, and he was also like, we were poor out on the farm in Kansas. So we weren't buying expensive dogs and, and getting like the best of genetics. And we didn't care about papers. We didn't care about anything. We just wanted a dog. Yep. He got in the kennel, he or she, and then we just hoped that they were a good dog. Um, and just got them out as much as we possibly could with our friends, dogs. And we just kind of went that route. So we did absolutely no training back then. Basically everything I've learned about training has been through reading and YouTube videos and DVDs and everything from the past like year or two. So, yeah. Yeah. And we'll definitely, we'll definitely get into that at some point, but, uh, before we leave Kansas, so pretty much quail, were you in, were you in pheasant country? Were you in prairie chicken country at all? Or were you mainly hunting quail? What was it like? Growing up initially, it was, the golden days of pheasant hunting okay. in the Flint Hills for us. We we would go out, we'd have weekends where we'd have guys come in and we would have probably like 18 to 25 guys all limit out before lunch on the first day. And limits were four uh, roosters a piece. Like the skies would just go nuts with roosters when we were like walking CRP fields and Milo. It was just absolutely insane. And so I had an incredible upbringing in the upland side of things because of that. But with that being said, and maybe because it was, there were so many pheasants then, but for some reason, Bob white quail have always been my favorite to hunt back there. There's just something about a dozen little like baseball to softball size little creatures, like all flying through the air, like crazy knuckleballs. And you've got to pick out one and, and and try and knock that thing to the ground it was just like something about zeroing in on the bob whites that that was always my favorite style of hunting uh we did have bob whites and pheasants and then there were a few prairie chickens around but but not many they had kind of they'd been gone by the time that we got into our upland hunting then so i have yet to take aim at a bob white quail but i've i've definitely heard quite a bit about it and it sounds very similar to what you described is there any secret to uh, to knocking one out of the air? Yeah, absolutely. Like you've 
slowly creep in. You got your dog on point, slowly creep in. And when they flush, you have to, you absolutely have to pick out one. Yeah. A lot of guys will just like snap fire up into a covey and hope to drop one. But it's just like any bird hunting. You've got to pick that bird out. You've got to track it. You've got to follow through with it. Um, but it's like really zeroing in on that. And you just, you have to be proficient at getting that shotgun up to shoulder. It's just got to be just a snap muscle memory. You still have the hammer 410? No, I mean, it's it's out of my dad's shop somewhere, okay. buried under a pile of who knows what. So <laughs> it's out there still. But uh, the uh, the shotgun that I graduated to, I still hunt with, with this day. I've actually got to take it in and get it looked at. It's kind of, it's jamming on me like every hunt. But uh, still got it. It's an old Winchester Model 59. Okay. Yeah. So is the farm still in the family? Do you ever get back there and hunt or is that no longer a thing? Oh, it's still in the family. Okay. Yeah, we've got it still. My dad doesn't do much farming out there anymore. He leases out a lot of it just because his knees and back are shot. He's been doing manual labor on concrete and all that his whole life. So he's getting to the age where he really can't do a whole lot. Um, but we still have it in the family. And actually last uh, last fall, I was able to get back there and spend a whole month, uh, the whole month of November doing uh, some whitetail hunting and some some upland hunting as well with my brother. Um, so, so yeah, so we've been able to get back there. My brother lives in town still. So plenty of opportunities to get back and do a lot of hunting there. Yeah, that's cool. I'm curious, you know, has the area changed? Has it, has it, has it kind of retained sort of a constant thread of what you remember or have you seen changes in agricultural practices? I mean, you just kind of hear, hear that stuff quite a bit about, you know, just sort of modernized farming and changing things for better or for worse for birds. Have you seen that stuff back there? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I have. And it's been something that I explored. I went out to pheasant fest, um, in Chicago, outside yeah. of Chicago this year. And, did a lot of talking with like the biologists and like we pulled up Google earth and looked at the farm and like looked at the contour lines and all the CRP strips and everything and really chatted about what has happened. Cause I've been searching for answers and I know a lot of folks out there have my dad's best friend, Phil, he's been doing some incredible uh, work out on his property, which is about a mile and a half down the road. And that's kind of the property that we've like able to knock down so many pheasants on and then since then, it's just gone drastically downhill. And we've like all kicked around like all these ideas of like what's happening, what's going on. But like the overlying issue is, is a lot of the farmlands around are being just like scraped down to the dirt and being put into some sort of ag rotation. And so a lot of the cover, a lot of the habitat is just being destroyed, being wiped out. And because of that, like we, I was able to shoot three roosters last season um and we only saw really four in that area um and so it's gone on from like limiting out before noon on one day to like we only see like four in a season it's just been it's been horrible just seeing that go down but the bob whites have um uh, have survived it and they're actually thriving right now for some reason but we're definitely seeing a lot of consequences of like large-scale farming that takes down a lot of the cover areas a lot of the the edge um and just wiping that out it's it's definitely delivered a heavy blow to pheasants where where i'm located at but if you go out to western kansas there's still incredible uh pheasant hunting out there it's just not where we're at anymore yeah nothing real shocking or earth shattering there habitat loss cover loss i mean those are definitely things that we hear about continually and and uh most people know that open birds don't do very well when they lose their habitat and they lose their cover yeah and it's kind of a double-edged sword because we've got all this good cover and stuff on these areas that we're trying to like really hone in on conservation practices but it's good cover for the upland birds as well as it is for the predators so it just kind of yeah. really concentrates everything into one area and the birds are just having a hard time with that yeah yeah for sure so we talked about the beginnings, you know, hunting with short hair pointers on the Kansas farmlands. Today, your upland hunting looks a little bit different. You've, uh, you've since relocated, you kind of filled in the gaps in between then and now, but, uh, talk a little bit about what your upland hunting looks like today. And I guess let's start with, do you have a bird dog of your own? I think you do. Yep, I do. I, uh, picked up one. He actually just turned one year old oh, a couple nice. days ago. Uh, I've got a wire hair pointing Griffon named Pinion, and he is my little amigo, little bearded bird dog. So yeah, so I've got him. Um, I was waiting, holding off to get a Drothar. 
um, but they are so damn expensive. <laughs> and so my brother shot me a link. I thought um, those grips were expensive. You know, they usually are, but I got really lucky. Okay. Uh, my brother saw a link on Facebook on like some bird dog classified group or something like that. This family up by Missoula that just kind of breeds the the lineage or the breed of them just for the love of it. They don't do papers. They don't do anything. They just crank out a litter every year. And they wanted a ridiculously low amount for the pups. And so I went there, picked up one. And then before I could like catch a breath, basically I had sold five other puppies out of that litter <laughs> just from folks in the area. They were like so cheap and just so ready to go. And so it, the cool thing was, is I actually picked up the very last puppy that was left in that litter for my brother and drove him down to Kansas. So my brother and I got brothers out of the litter. Oh, nice. Yeah. So Pinion and Arlo. The funny thing is, is they look wildly different. Like really? Arlo, Joel's dog, he looks like the typical Griffon where he's just shaggy everywhere. Um, but then my dog looks more of like a draught where he's got like sort of a sleeker short coat, but then he's got like a little bit smaller beard and just kind of trimmed up. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I uh, actually, uh, AJ and I were looking at. I think we were looking at your Instagram profile, and I was blanking on because I had heard about your dog on uh, Ron's podcast, Honey Dog Podcast, and I was blanking on the breed. And I'm like, ah, I think it's a draught. I, I can't remember. I think it's a draught. And AJ's like, and AJ has a has a Griffon, so, so he's like, I think it's a Griffon. But yeah, the the short coat kind of explains it. Yeah, if you look on there, there's one really good picture where I've got them in Kansas, and I've got both of them kind of sitting on – actually, there's two of them. I've got one in Nebraska and one in Kansas where they're both sitting on the tailgate right next to each other, and you're just – it looks like you're looking at two different breeds. Yeah. So So a buddy of mine so – Yeah, so it's uh, – Go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Uh, I was just going to say that a buddy of mine just – he just picked up a puppy yesterday, brand-new puppy, English setter puppy. I'm uh, I'm uh, I'm gonna be getting another one next spring, but it's kind of uh, I think back fondly at the first year with my my bird dog, and you know you just finished up your first year with kind of your first personal bird dog. Talk a little bit about that first year. Yeah, so that'll kind of tie back in. I I really dove in into like the puppy situation there and didn't talk much about how my upland hunting has evolved, but yeah, yeah. I can kind of tie it in with this. Um, so with with moving up here, it's just like a wildly different uh, upland hunting scene. Um, you like you've got like we had bob whites and pheasants back in Kansas. There are no bob whites in Montana just because they cannot survive the cold. Uh, so there's like no season or regulations on them whatsoever. Um, and so it's been getting out and exploring more and trying different styles of upland hunting because quite honestly, like in my history, I always saved upland hunting for back on the farm in Kansas. Like it. It meant so much to me that any sort of upland hunting anywhere else, just like it wasn't worth doing because of how heartfelt that Kansas hunting was for me being there and like connected with my brother and my dad and just like the, just the shit talking that went on and like the camaraderie (laughs) and the fields and everywhere that we went, like it just didn't touch it. So it just wasn't worth the effort. And like some upland hunters will like scoff at me for saying that, but I just, I love Kansas upland hunting so much that I wanted in my mind, what upland hunting was to like always look like that. And now moving up here to Montana, it's been, it's been amazing to be up here and like really setting some roots, getting this puppy, training him and exploring some different zones. Like I've already been able to go out and do an incredible upland hunt up in in Idaho with a buddy of mine and his one-year-old pup. Uh, We went running around up in the highlands looking for chucker. That was an amazing time. Um, as well as getting up into the mountains and chasing some grouse around here and these cagey huns that are all over the place that are probably the most difficult birds I've ever experienced (laughs) um, as far as getting into like shotgun range too anyways. So it's just been, it's been very unique to come up here and, and relearn and as well learn myself how to train a bird dog and how to interact with a bird dog and how to really like bring out the best qualities of him and not to screw him up. Um, with my touch, but just really bringing him up and exposing him to as much as I can while at the same time allowing myself to be exposed to everything up here and like really seeing like how you're really supposed to hunt chucker, how you're really supposed to hunt grouse. It's just been an incredible exploration as well as I'm like looking at all this new ground for the first time. So it's, it's been a lot of fun. 
Yeah, that's really cool. And it, you kind of, you alluded to a question that I was going to ask you and what I was, what I was going to ask was, was there ever a doubt that you would be an Upland hunter wherever you were? And you kind of answered that in the sense that, yeah, there was some doubt because you kind of were reserving, you know, back home in Kansas for upland hunting and you weren't necessarily interested in pursuing that everywhere you went. And I can relate to that a little bit, but what was it about being out there that eventually piqued your interest? You know, were you out hunting big game and we're seeing Huns or, and Chucker somewhere, or what was it that eventually kind of got to you and said, you know what, I need to get a bird dog and start hunting out here. Well, you know, when I moved to Colorado, the upland hunting was just like sub very subpar out there where I was at. And I was doing a lot of traveling, a lot of moving around. And so with my job, the opportunity to upland hunt just wasn't that great as well as having a, a bird dog to like travel around that much. And I was just like very free will on the go, living in a lot of different places, just exploring the Rockies. So it's a very conducive out there. Uh, but then in the, like the past three, four years, I've really felt the need to get a bird dog and, and get back into it pretty hardcore to wherever I am. Um, and with that has come the search and like, to, to find the right bird dog and to find the right situation. And finally moving here to Bozeman is just like, it's not a matter of if it's a matter of when. So my brother found that dog and I just, I jumped on it cause I was, uh, just anchored down enough that I knew that I was going to be calling this place home. This was going to be a career spot for me. And I wanted that a part of my life here. And I like the the aspect of the versatile breeds because there's so much to chase here between upland and waterfowl and blood tracking and with dogs. And so, yeah, I was just knowing that I was coming up here um, and like on this trajectory, like it was, it was time. Yeah. So have you had, how has it been sort of getting your feet wet in upland hunting the West? Have you had some good mon- or mentors? Is there, are there some big time upland hunters in the mediator office or have you just kind of been doing it on your own? Um, a little bit. We've got another guy here, Joe, who's, who just got his first bird dog. Um, cool. Ferguson, he's a little GWP. Both Pinion and him are buddies. They're knuckleheads together. Um, Is it a dog-friendly but, uh, office? Yeah, we've got nice. uh, two dogs in the office right now. Nice. We, uh, we have to kind of check it at times because sometimes they get a little too wily. <laughs> but, but, but yeah, we've got a bunch of dog beds laid out on the ground everywhere. So, so yeah, it's, it's been a bit of a mixture. I've got a buddy of mine who does some marketing work for a fly fishing company here in town. Who's a big bird hunter. He's a guy I went to Idaho with, um, and he's really spot on with his training with his pop. So I've learned some stuff from him. Um, but I really haven't found so much of a mentor here. Um, I've just done a lot of reading, a lot of YouTube videos, a lot of DVDs, a lot of backyard trainings. I did have one trainer that I took pinion to like right after I got him um, to like really get that first exposure in and try and get him on as many birds as I possibly could, like right in the early months. Um, but beyond that, like I really didn't like his e-collar techniques. And so I pulled, I pulled pinion back from that, took him down to Kansas, got him a bunch of exposure down there. And I'm trying to do as much as I can on my own now. Sure. Um, and like, I'll go and I'll like hire a professional trainer for a session and I'll go and I'll, instead of going through just like one session and like he does all the work, I will want to like lay out a plan of like six to eight weeks and like, what do I need to do? And he'll kind of give me a snippet of each piece. I'll write some notes and then I've got homework and, and some work with opinion um, over the weeks to come. And so that way I'm, it's more of a guided trajectory versus just like handing my dog off to somebody and, and going that route. Yeah, that's cool. You want to be involved in, you know, a lot of trainers talk about training the trainer and, you know, half the battle is making sure that the dog doesn't get goofed up when they, when it goes home, you know, so it's, it's uh, definitely helpful to get involved and try to understand what's going on there. Talk a little bit about, you know, again, going back to the first year with, with your first bird dog, what was it like doing, you know, intro to birds, intro to gun? I mean, was, was that stuff a big deal or no big deal or how did that go for you? Um, you know, a lot of that stuff got taken on by the trainer, okay. actually, like all of that, like very intro level stuff. Um, I was just like, I was slammed at that period of time. Yep. That was when I was working freelance, uh, working an editor role for two different publications as well as doing a bunch of freelance stuff here in town. And so I was working till like 10 at night. And, um, with that, I had the financial, uh, 
uh, ability to like send him off to a trainer for a month. And I was just like, well, I know I'm slammed right now. It's like hunting season. Everything's going on. I've got all this work. I'm going to take you to the trainer. I'm going to get the intro to gunshot, intro to birds, get that all dialed there. And then I'm going to finesse everything from that point on. And so that's, that was my path of what I did. Yeah. And none of that stuff is stuff that you want to mess around with if you're short on time. So that uh, was probably a really good decision by you to, to go that route. So since then, you know, you, you've talked about kind of working with a little, doing a lot of research, reading, watching YouTube videos. I mean, some of the same stuff that I do, and I'm sure the listeners do uh, beyond that, is it pretty much just been getting your dog out in the, out in the field and putting them on wild birds? Yeah. You know, from my reading, what I've, I've looked into is like the, the number one thing for a bird dog under a year old is like exposure. Yeah. And that's like going back, there's a book. Uh, where's that book at? It's uh, how to help gun dogs train themselves, taking advantage of early conditioning training by Joan Bailey. I, I think, think I that read one. That. Yeah. It's, it's one of the staple books you've got to read if you're going to train a bird dog or a gun dog. And it's just basically the, basic idea of it or the basic philosophy of that book is just like social training is get your dog in every environment you possibly can and like get them as many birds in front of their noses like you can possibly do and that will allow the genetics to come into play and like really bring your dog alive and from there if you're able to max out your dog on all of that you can see exactly what you've got you've got this this ball of clay and then it's up to you to mold it and and not screw it up and burn it and throw it away. So it's just, it's really good to just get your dog out there and get them exposure to everything you can. So that way you can fine tune the little things that you want, like getting them steady to wing and shot and, and woe training and just like backing or whatever it might be. But it's, it's really just getting your dog out there um, and getting them experienced. That's kind of, that's been my, my plan for, for the first year. So. Yeah. I think that's really good advice. That's kind of stuff that I've tried to operate by, and I'm definitely uh, definitely an amateur with this stuff. But, I, you know, that book, you know, I think sometimes we talk about or we'll say, you know, get your dog on wild birds, and people kind of say maybe roll their eyes and be like, well, obviously, yeah, I want my dog on as many wild birds as possible. But I think that book went deeper into, like what you said, it's, you know, think about exposure to everything, you know, to to really get a really well-adjusted and well-rounded dog, you know, bring them everywhere, expose them to anything and everything. And that's that's really important stuff, I think, in the, you know, first six months to a year. Yeah, that, it not only does that, but it builds their – um, their confidence yes. in the world. Yep. Uh, and especially for me, like opinion, when it comes to bird, he's not a soft dog, but when it comes to like around people and interacting, like he's a little bit more of a softer dog. That's kind of like just the Griff mentality yep. versus like a, a bomb eating drawthar or something like that, where they'll just chew glass and smile. Um, <laughs> like it just like for me to get this dog out and get them exposure to everything. Like when I was out last summer, when he was just tiny little puppy, I would go out on the Gallatin river out here, fly fishing and just hiking around. And I would make him as a little puppy swim across and he would whine and cry and throw a fit on the far side of the bank. And then he'd finally just man up and swim across. And now like I've gone out fishing the spring and he's swimming back and forth across the, uh, the river holes like five to seven times just and, for like, fun screwing up my fish yeah just for fun and like <laughs> screwing up my fishing but it's like well i want you to do this so awesome <laughs> yeah it is fun to see them get bold and how much they develop and the things that they will do you know whereas you know i can remember the first time my dog you know basically dipping a toe in the water and now he's he's basically a fish you know five years into it yeah, it's it's really cool to see the progression. So let's just ta- the mental strength. Let's talk a little bit about the 2018 hunting season. I mean, what were some of the what were some of the high notes from you and Pinion's first season? Things that he did that were awesome. Things that he did that left you scratching your head. I mean, I would imagine you got a little taste of all of it, as that's pretty common in the first year. Yeah. So I mean, the highlights for sure is just like as soon as I got him out of the trainer within like 48 hours, my wheels were spinning South, um, was able to stop in Nebraska. Uh, buddy, my new, he has, he was living out there. Um, and he had a friend that run like a, a dog training, like outfitting situation, SRK outfitters. Um, and so we stopped out there and we were able to get on some really good pheasants. And I know a lot of folks are thinking, 
do not put a puppy on wild pheasants. Those things, especially like in the early season when they're track stars and they're just running forever, you're just going to screw up a pup. But we got them on out there and the dogs are like the birds ran and they ran and they ran. But when they stopped running, so did Pinion. And he had some incredible points, some incredible retrieves and then brought him down to Kansas. And I'd say this is more of a highlight for me, but just being able to bring both of those dogs down and hunt with my brother uh, with both of our like it was both our first bird dog. Uh, So we both have this new puppy. And for Joel and I to walk the fields together with these dogs was just incredible. Yeah. Um, Like that was just a personal highlight for me and like hanging out, uh, chasing a bunch of Bob whites around and seeing Joel's dog Arlo, seeing his progression while watching pinions progression, seeing them feed off of each other and like building a little bit of competition. Like I'm, I'm so torn that they couldn't spend more time together because it was a really cool thing where pinion is an incredible pointer and Arlo is like the world's best retriever. And like, they just, they complimented each other so well. And so I was really, yeah, I was really hoping to see more of that, but I had to get back up here to Bozeman, but it was just, it was really cool to watch uh, the points go down and the retrieves and just, and working all of the familiar spots that we've been to and, and watching these pups see it for the first time. Could you tell when you put those, pups together the first time did it did it seem like they were litter mates like did they did they know that they were brothers uh one would say yeah just because they immediately started like like rough housing and, and play fighting yeah um, but i feel like that's what like <laughs> all puppies, puppies might do that do. <laughs> yeah yeah exactly but it was just it was really cool to see just knowing that they're brothers and just and just watching that because like you watch them too and i it just brings back flashbacks into my head of my brother and i like wrestling and fighting around it's just like well that's pretty cool so pheasants and quail mixed in there. I think you said you took a chucker trip too, though, didn't you? Yeah. So that was later when I came back up here. Um, it was the last weekend of chucker season in Idaho. And I went over there with a buddy, Connor, him and I drove out and stayed at a hotel and uh, just kind of explored some lands that we'd never been to over there. Um, and we got our butt kicked, <laughs> to say the least. But we finally got on some good birds the last day. Um, but it was... It was tough, like getting the pup out there at his young age and like hitting the hills hard. There was a lot of scree, a lot of cacti, Um, like his paws were worn down pretty bad by the end of it all. Um, You could tell he was like he was just physically wiped. Um, But I feel that that aspect, like the next time we go back out there, he's just going to be that much stronger and he'll understand it more. And so he had a rough time the first time out there, really didn't find too many birds. But then when he did, when he got on him, like you could see that click. And then for like the next hour, he was hard charging. Nice. But it was, it was a lot for him as a puppy to go and, and hit all that vert and walk all those miles each day. But, uh, yeah, I, f- I feel like that just goes back into that exposure treatment that we were talking about before. Yep. Yep. Definitely. He will be, he will be no worse for that experience. That's for sure. I've never done it yep. before, but I know from the stuff that I listen to the stuff that I read, the people I talk to, uh, getting your butt kicked and chucker hunting kind of seem to go hand in hand. Yeah, absolutely. Like it's, <laughs> I've said this before in the office is like chucker hunting is the worst ratio of energy spent to protein acquired <laughs> all of hunting, like hands down. <laughs> but it is something else, but I mean, like the views, the like you basically have to like mule deer shed hunt the whole time you're going out there, and then you know it just keeps your legs and lungs in shape for any other style of western hunting. But like just the views alone of chucker hunting is incredible. It's just the landscape and the big open views. It's it's amazing. Yeah, you guys are spoiled in the sense that you have some pretty epic views out there. So for you to say that about chucker hunting, I would I would imagine that it is uh you know i've seen it on on film but i would imagine that in person it's it's uh quite breathtaking yeah it's it's quite the deal and like it's cool because you're like getting up on the hillsides you're getting the vert and you're getting that kind of pinnacle view like looking down on everything and like out here in montana it's it's a little different where we are pulling hunting and still gorgeous like you're hunting huns in like in lowlands and like wheat fields and stuff like that and then you look up and there's snow-capped mountain ranges and like you're basically surrounded by them and like 50 miles or so away and you're just like where the hell am i at (laughs) it's uh it's pretty cool all right so pheasants bob white quail trucker were huns and sharpies part of uh, opinions for a season 
Um, we went after some Huns, but we never got into them. All right. Uh, they always busted way out in front of us. Um, so, so we really haven't gotten those. And then I haven't made any trips out east in eastern Montana to get after any sharpies yet. Uh, but that's going to be on the docket for 2019. Nice. So talk about a little bit regarding any 2019 training goals for you and pinion do you have any plans to do anything specific or you're just going to keep getting them exposure i mean i know you sent me some pictures last week you've been out driving around and running the dog a little bit and seeing some huns but anything anything specific on the agenda between now and and next season yeah so right now i'm actually i just joined up with this club um it's headwaters gun dog club um and they've got a pointer night every thursday so we get to go out there, uh, buy birds. Uh, they've got uh, quail, chucker, and then a rooster every once in a while. But you buy birds, and then you go out into this BLM land that we've leased from the state or from the feds um, out by the Missouri Headwaters area, and we're able to go out there and work with the dogs. And so we went out there last weekend, and we were, it was the first weekend they were open. Nobody else besides my buddy and jo- uh, Joe and I were out there, so we took our dogs out and we bought eight quail between the both of us and just work the dogs. And like right now, like it's getting into uh, the, the training season, so to speak for me yep. and Pinion. So right now I'm still working on like getting him on birds and like anything he does is good. Like I'm, I'm trying not to reprimand him for anything cause he is a soft dog, but I'm slowly going to start working in some woe training that I've done in the backyard, some obedience training. And I Ideally, it might be a bit of a long shot, but I'd like to get him steady to at least wing um, by September. Like that's a big one. I'm also wanting to do a lot of waterfowl like retrieval uh, with him and then also introduce some blood tracking and see if that's in his gene pool anywhere and see if if that's something that we can work on because elk season and mule deer season is coming down the line, too. Yeah, that was another thing you and I were talking about. You'd mentioned the blood tracking and could definitely see, you know, just with the prevalence of big game hunting out there and the opportunities you have, that could be uh that could be a real handy trait in a bird dog. Oh yeah, absolutely. Like everybody it seems like you talk to in big game hunting, they've always got that one big animal that like they hit and it got away, they just couldn't find it. And so having the nose of a dog to help out with that is something that I'm very interested in. And and I think it was something I, I talked to you about as well before, but it was just like just this romantic idea of being up on like a wilderness landscape with your dog at your feet while you're hunting. There's just like something very primal about that. That's just like, I absolutely want to do that. And to have that dog help you find the the track game afterwards is, is pretty cool. So that's, that's the big reasoning of why I'm going to probably next Next spring, I'll have a Drothar that has really good bloodlines of uh, of blood tracking. So yeah, yeah, I was going to so ask is, you that is the goal. The uh, you you know you're only a year into the first one, but is there a, is there a number two on the horizon? It sounds like there is. Yep, I have already put my name on the list, and I'm getting ready to put money down this summer nice. for uh, picking up a puppy next spring. Yeah, talking with Grizzly Creek Drothars out of Boise, um, and they've got a pretty incredible litter coming up. Where there's, there's, she's sending one of her females over to Holland to breed with this incredible drop that's there. Um, and so once I heard about that, I was just like, I need to be on that list. So <laughs> talked with her. I'm getting ready to head down to BHA Rendezvous in Boise, Idaho, or oh, yeah, yeah, Boise, Idaho, May yep. 3rd through 5th. So I'm actually going to get to stop and chat with her, work on some training elements, um, and just kind of see the dogs that she's got there and, and just get the train moving. Yeah. That'll be interesting. Are you seeing that, you know, in people that you talk to? I mean, it doesn't sound like maybe the network's not huge, but are you seeing people going that way using bird dogs for blood tracking with, with just with the prevalence of big game hunting out there? Um, I'd have to say not really. Okay. I think it's, it's very niche. Um, like I, there's definitely a surge of bearded bird dogs, like widespread. I feel like right now, it's just kind of like a, a trend that's coming out. But as far as utilizing a dog for blood tracking, I don't, I don't hear about that hardly at all. Yeah. But it's, it's something that's got my interest for sure. 
any advice for first time bird dog owners, somebody that's listening that wants to get their first dog? I mean, we talked about some pretty quality stuff and, and you mentioned sort of what worked for you and the things that you focused on, but any advice for somebody that maybe doesn't have a bird dog yet and they're looking to get one? Mm, I would definitely say do a lot of research. I researched myself for about three years um, and really explored what I wanted to do and then what kind of dog breed or lineage is like is is perfect for that of what I want to do and like whether it's it's the mixture of the field work as well as the mixture of like what kind of dog do you want at home do you want a dog that's going to ignore you and like not want anything to do with you until you put on blaze orange and you got a shotgun in your hand or do you want like a, a big companion and so it's it's just really understanding breed characteristics talking to trainers, talking to breeders, talking to organizations like NAVDA or VDD or whatever, whatever lineage you want to go for, like find the lead organizations for those and, and ask questions. Just ask a lot of questions is a big one for me. Yeah. And just understand when you do get that puppy in patience is a virtue. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yep. That's for sure. That's for sure. Yeah. All right. And how about generally upland hunting in the West? tips pointers i would imagine you're hunting a lot of public land that's that's pretty much in the wheelhouse but uh any any tips techniques tools that that really give you an advantage out there man you know what i've got to say like i'm new in the west so i'm looking for that so if anybody listening (laughs) has got any for me give me give me a shout (laughs) nice we'll have to get you hooked up with uh matt harding or or ryan mulcahy from born to run kettles those are there's some big upland hunters out there we got some guys we could put you in touch with yeah, that'd be awesome. Yeah, it's it's definitely very much uh like exploratory right now for me. It's it's getting on Onyx maps and yeah. finding the plots of public land that look like they're good, like finding like the Pheasants Forever land that's around here that they're putting work into. Yep. As well as just networking as much as I can. Like getting into this Missouri Headwaters Gun Dog Club is a great way for me to do that. So I know every Thursday I'm gonna meet a ton of people who have pointers. Um and so it's just kind of like shooting the shit on the tailgate, like before or afterwards and just kind of talking stories, asking questions and just have a good sense of humility and, and ask questions and, and sort through the BS because everybody knows bird dog hunters or bird dog trainers can, can dish you a lot. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, so it's just, just uh, sorting through the egos and finding out where the truth is and, and all of it all and just kind of see who you want to align with and who you want to go on hunts with. I would say that is excellent advice, man. I mean, like you said, put yourself out there, exercise a little humility don't don't uh don't have too much ego and uh be able to take a little bit and usually if you do that you're gonna find friends pretty quick yeah yeah absolutely anything that we should be i mean mediator has definitely they've done stuff in the upland space i know you and i were talking about the recent rough grouse article that they put out brody henderson put that out that was that was a great article yeah he did a great job on that one yeah Yeah. he did ronnie b's been on you know with steve he's been they've been on the sage grouse hunt they've done a couple episodes anything uh on the mediator radar for the upland hunter that's uh, in the near future that you can talk about yeah, it kind of ties into what we're chatting about right now. It's kind of a smaller project, but I'm going to be working with our social media team here and putting together a series of like six to eight episodes um, about upland training. So it's kind of like the DIY style, like basically going to have like the help, like the aspect that I'm taking is going to like a professional trainer and be like, hey, what can I do on my own? What gear do I need to do stuff on my own? What are the obedience commands that I need to work on in my own backyard? And just find these DIY tricks you can do with the dog to make them a better hunter for you um, and showcasing what you can do as a personal, like non-professional dog trainer on your own. So that's that's one aspect that I'm working on and, and getting ready to get that started um, here pretty shortly. Awesome. Well, we'll look forward to seeing that and uh, we'll definitely put some relevant links and stuff in the show notes. Where can people follow you on Instagram? You got some awesome photography. Where can, uh, where can people follow along? Yeah, thanks. So Instagram is at mountain Morgan. It's M T N Morgan. That'll be my Instagram account. And then, and yeah, any, any gear that I'm up to, you can see the, the social media stuff on meat eaters account. Yep. Um, and then also on the meat eater.com. 
TheMediator.com. All right, man. We'll put that stuff up. I, I really appreciate you joining us on the podcast. This was a ton of fun. And uh, you and I will keep in touch, and perhaps our paths will cross in an upland field uh, later this year. That'd be sweet. I hope so. These, uh, these potential plans we've been talking about, I hope they come to fruition. Yeah, yeah, likewise, man. Well, thanks again for your time today, and we appreciate you joining us on the podcast. We'll talk to you again. Okay, thanks, Nick. All right, later, Morgan. See ya. You've been listening to the Project Upland Podcast. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. And a reminder that this podcast was brought to you by Pine Ridge Grouse Camp, Dog Trick Collars, Yukonuba Dog Food, Gordian Sons Outfitters, and Dakota 283 Kennels. Find more podcasts, articles, films, and much more at projectupland.com. Thanks again for listening, everybody. We'll catch you on the next episode of the Project Upland Podcast. Onyx Hunt is the number one hunting GPS app. Join millions of other hunters who trust Onyx Hunt to find more game, discover new access, and hunt smarter. Onyx Hunt shows you nationwide public and private land boundaries. They've got topographic and 3D maps. You can track your route, location, and elevation profile. You can save maps for offline use and take Onyx Hunt with you wherever you go. The most comprehensive hunting tool you'll own Download the Onyx Hunt app today and use the promo code BSP20 to save 20% on your next Onyx Hunt subscription. Know where you stand with Onyx. Hey everyone, this is Nick from the Gundog It Yourself podcast. If you enjoyed this show, then you might want to check out my show as well. We highlight and break down the ins and outs of training your own hunting dog. Whether it's a bird dog or even the occasional hound dog episode, we cover all topics related to hunting dogs. Check out Gundog It Yourself on any podcast streaming platform and hit the subscribe button to be sure not to miss any future episodes.